You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your hosts, David Shane and Ben Goats. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey, dot, 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 for now, I guess. Uh, I am Ben Goats, one of your Review-Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joining me. On the other line from Las Vegas is my colleague, Dave Shane. I am in St. Louis. Dave, how you doing? Well, I'm all right. I'm, uh, I guess I'm trying to figure out what to do with a long summer for, uh, for the first time in a few years. So, I don't know. I'll make my list here and come up with something. And I don't know. Yeah. Any, any good barbecue in St. Louis? I got, it's not like the game matters, right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't hit up a spot yet, though I will say I had probably the best brisket I've ever had in my life a couple days ago in Dallas. So personally for me, uh, this road trip that I'm on has been a success. For the Golden Knights, uh, not so much. And that's what we're, of course, going to get into today and talk about why Dave and I all of a sudden have very open calendars in the month of May if people have any recommendations for us. Uh, But before we get into all that, just a reminder that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. Uh, We are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We are also presented by Blue Wire. And of course, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, What Dave and I are talking about, of course, is the fact that the Golden Knights are done. They have been eliminated. Their season is not over. They, uh, as we're recording this, have one more regular season game to play tomorrow against the Blues. But as Dave said, it does not matter for them. It actually might matter for the Blues in terms of playoff seeding. That's to be determined. But the Knights are going to miss the playoffs for the first time in their five-year history. That became official Wednesday last night as we're recording this. Uh, Since our last episode, the Knights have beaten the Washington Capitals in overtime, and then they lost three straight shootouts while going 0 for 17 in terms of their shooters, uh, which dropped them out of the playoff picture. Uh, Those shootout losses were to San Jose in a gut-wrenching fashion where the Knights were up two goals, slightly more than two minutes left in the third period, gave up two empty netters, lost the shootout, Uh, lost the shootout in a critical game in Dallas that had the possibility to just eliminate them a day earlier if they did not win in regulation, and then lost a shootout uh, last night to Chicago. Even if the Knights had won said shootout last night, Dallas got to overtime against Arizona, which was enough to officially knock the Knights out of the playoff picture. It was interesting, Dave, because in the last week, you know, you had that must-win Capitals game, it felt like, for the Knights, where they did get it done. And then the Stars went on this really rough road trip where they went 0-3 in Canada. So, like, you know, the, about a week ago, like Thursday, Friday, we're going into, you know, kind of the Knights' media availabilities. And there's at least, like, some hints of optimism because the Knights briefly controlled their own destiny again. And then, like I said, then three straight shootout losses, and here we are. Are you surprised that this is the way that it's ultimately going to end for this team, that this is how they're going to go out in the 2021-2022 season? So I guess if you ask me this question like now or, you know, a couple weeks ago, I would say no, 
because I think they just had shown throughout the season that they hadn't put it together and that there was nothing really to believe in this team that it could get over the finish line. But like, obviously let's go back, let's rewind, let's go to the start of this season. And you ask me that question, I would be, you know, like flabbergasted, unheard of that this team would miss the playoffs. It, it, it would have taken some kind of act, like biblical act of, you know, whatever, you know, for, for it to happen. Now, like all that being said, I'm, being hyperbolic and exaggerating because, you know, and we've talked about this before. You've mentioned this even, you know, a handful of years ago, Tampa Bay missed the playoffs. So like things happen. It's goofy. It's an 82 game season. And, you know, it's a pretty fine knife edge that, that you're dancing on, you know, between wins and losses. And, you know, it sounds like an excuse. It sounds like something that the players say and the coaches say, but you know, it's, it's true. And this team, I think once the, the thing about it is once the injuries started to happen and then once the calendar turned and everything seemed to start to catch up with them, the, you know, the, then maybe the surprise started to go away. But, but yeah, when you look at this from a wider lens, big picture of, you know, Golden Knights 21-22 with everything that they've done, all the moves that they've made, the – salary cap gymnastics that they had to go through just to keep, you know, as much of a star-studded roster as they could could ice out there. Uh, like, un- pretty unfathomable that this team would m- miss the playoffs. No, absolutely. And as you mentioned, there is, like, I guess, like, you know, like that lightning, you know, year is kind of the most, I feel like, relevant historical comparison for those that are don't know. The lightning, you know, in 2014, make the playoffs. 2015, lose in the Stanley Cup final to Chicago. Make the conference finals in 2016. And then they're out of the playoffs entirely in 2017. And since then, you know, they lost in the conference finals the night's inaugural year. Got swept in the first round. That infamous loss to the Blue Jackets in 2019. And then since then, they've gone Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. And then obviously TBD this postseason. Uh, but still, it just does feel, as you mentioned, like remarkable that, you know, the Knights were a preseason Stanley Cup co-favorite with Colorado, and they're not even going to be in the dance. I mean, the NHL playoffs are wild. I think, you know, anyone that says you're ever surprised by a potential favorite going out earlier than expected in the playoffs, I think, is exaggerating. But to have the Knights not even get in... And even with all the adversity they faced, I feel like is just extremely shocking because you kind of mentioned it. The thing that's just interesting and is going to stick with me, I think, about especially the end of this season is just the fact that the Knights were the ones that kept themselves out. I think a lot of people talking to fans and even talking to some of our colleagues, you know, at the paper and everything. I think there was like an expectation that because of how much success this team has had, obviously its first four seasons, that there still was kind of that oomph or that excellence in there that if they either got healthy or they just got enough time together to click, that they would just find it and like go on a run that would get themselves in and then they'd be dangerous. I feel like I just heard that from quite a few fans. And then quite, like I said, I think some, of our even our colleagues that just had 
become accustomed to seeing what this team was capable in the past. Uh, but as you mentioned, Dave, just this year's team just never showed that they had it in them. They never showed that they were going to go on a run that really ended up putting pressure on the Kings or the Stars or even the Predators. I mean, the Kings got in relatively comfortably. Um, and the Knights, you know, they're 15, 15, and four since the All-Star game. They were first in the Pacific Division in points percentage when they hosted All-Star Weekend. And they are below 500 since then. Uh, since that infamous 05 and 0 road trip, which is really when kind of the, oh, they might miss the playoffs alarm bell started going off. They're 10, 5, and 4. They've won 10 games and they've lost 9. It's not like they've made some huge charge to go back. And then even with last night's shootout loss, they're 2, 2, and 4 in their last 8 games. That's just not a way to climb back into the standings. And so it's not like they got held out by some, you know, fantastic run by Dallas or another team. Dave, it's just like the Knights just didn't have it to get in. Yeah. I always think of the Radiohead song and that lyric about you do it to yourself, but there's lots of reasons. There's lots of different things, but you know, ultimately what it really comes down to, and like, I'll try to be a little more brief on this answer is like, they didn't deserve it. It sounds harsh, like, but you play 80 plus games, 82 games, you know, it's so far it's 81. They had plenty of chances and yes, injuries and all of that, but like, they also had some guys come back. You also had some guys that didn't perform down the stretch, you know, if we're going to like start poking holes in this and, and picking on guys and, and figuring out reasons and, all that sort of stuff. Like they just, they didn't get it done. Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. The, there were moments in the final month where the door seemed to be creaking open and they either just fell on their face or, you know, just weren't able to bust it down. And it, it just felt like all year long, there was kind of this, you don't know what it is, like some kind of weird outside force Something that, you know, maybe it was the chemistry that, that Max Pacioretty alluded to after the game last night that seemed to be missing on and off the ice. But, but whatever, whatever it takes for a team, you know, to rally and feel good going into, you know, the end of the season and making a push and, and then hopefully, you know, carrying that into the postseason. Like they, this team just just never found it, never had it, never seemed – really interested in and in even capturing that. Yeah, so let's get into some of the reasons why the Knights are ultimately going to be watching the playoffs from home. You've already mentioned, I think, the big one, Dave, that we have to start with, which is injuries. There were just so many injuries this year, and even if they did get, you know, relatively, at least, you know, relatively healthy considering what the season was like for them by the end, it just never uh, got to a great spot, and even some of the guys – they brought back just clearly were not themselves. Uh, so by my math, they're going to probably hit 500 man games lost Friday. I think that's about three times as many man games lost as they had all of last season. Uh, in particular, they didn't even get half seasons from Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, uh, or Alec Martinez. And I think we can safely say that Stone and Martinez in particular uh, when they came back from their respective injuries, just did not look like themselves 
for most of the time they were back. Um, out of top six guys, I mean, Riley Smith's going to miss 26 games. William Carlson's already missed 15. And uh, in net, Robin Leonard made 44 starts, and his backup, uh, Laurent Brossois, made 21. It always is, I feel like, a little weird to talk about injuries because you don't want to necessarily excuse them or just completely say, like, this season was a write-off because of the injuries because that is obviously not the case, as we've established. The Knights, just even when they got healthy, could not play well enough to earn their way into a playoff spot. But obviously they still deserve, you know, being mentioned because if a a lot of those guys are healthy or play significantly more games, Dave, you just got to believe that this team is at least making the playoffs. Now, maybe they don't have the upside that we all thought they did heading into the season where maybe they were never going to be top tier Stanley Cup contenders with the group they ultimately put together. But they are at least getting in if they had at least some semblance of normal health. Yeah, and I think you wonder if they're able to do that. Maybe that chemistry and maybe all that stuff that seemed to be missing is able to develop along the way. Maybe things start to feel good and snowball, you know, in a positive way and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, I, th- I think I think what you said is fair, though, that even if they were healthy, it's just – there were so many question marks around this team. The, the reality is it does sound like an excuse and it does sound like, you know, oh, five years from now, you're going to think back on, oh, that was the injury year or, you know, whatever. And, and, and it is. It, it was. Like, that's just reality. And, and it was key people, you know. Like you mentioned, it was, you know, it was Mark Stone not being himself all year from the second game of the season when he went out with a non-contact injury, you know, Max Pacioretty gets hurt that, you know, that same game, like they're, they're fighting uphill right from the start without two thirds of their first line. You know, they lose Martinez. They lose, you know, guys like, Hey, white cloud had like three stints, I think on, on IR different points. Uh, like you mentioned, Riley Smith, William Carlson's out. He's like, there, there was just so much. And yeah, Early on, they found some of the depth scoring, and, and we've talked about this all, you know, kind of ad nauseum and, and what happened. But, like, it, it, if you're going to just take a step back and be objective and be fair, you, you have to acknowledge how much the injuries impacted this team. So, from, from that standpoint, I do. I, I think everything would have been different. But, you know, again, there's an old saying about, you know, like what – my aunt and my uncle and private parts and it's vulgar, but you know, like it is what it is like that. You can't go back and change it. No, definitely not. And I guess it leads us right into the, the second, I think reason that we need to talk about why the Knights will not be making the playoffs. And that'll be about something that I think a lot of fans uh, do wish the team could go back and change. And that is how this team has handled the goaltending uh, position And we're going to get into uh, the specifics of Robin Leonard and what's been happening with him over the last week or so uh, later on in the podcast. So I want to save that part of the conversation for them. Uh, But just in terms of purely the production that the Knights got in net this season, uh, they are, when I looked it up this morning, 19th in terms of team save percentage. They were second last year 
They gave up the fewest goals in the NHL, and Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vezina Trophy. Uh, this year, they decided to trade Marc-Andre Fleury for basically nothing, roll with Robin Leonard and Laurent Brassois with Logan Thompson as the third stringer, and they ended up with Logan Thompson kind of carrying the load at the end of the season, actually doing very well. But uh, Pete DeBoer, you know, after the New Jersey loss, which he was clearly very frustrated with, uh, he was that of the Washington game. Um, either one, he was just like basically bemoaning the fact that he does did not feel like the Knights got consistency in goal almost all season. And, you know, no matter obviously – how you feel about the Knights' decisions there and how they handled said decisions and communicated said decisions. Uh, There's just no doubt that however they approached it, it led to a steep kind of decline in performance in basically the most important position on the ice. And I think you can maybe point to a couple things, and I don't know the numbers on this. I would, I would maybe, maybe I'll try to stall. Maybe you can look this up a little bit. I don't think when I looked at one point that the chances that they were giving up last year versus this year are like that much different. I I think they still gave up a a high, you know, a large number of high danger chances last year. They just were getting more saves. It seemed like, I think that's what the numbers sort of bear out. And, you know, maybe that's a whole separate conversation as to, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and, you know, what this team needs from a goaltender based on its defense and how it plays, all that sort of stuff. I I think the one thing this year that happened was there was pressure at different points in the season for guys to produce because of the injuries, because of who was out of the lineup. And I think there were stretches where they were pushing so hard for offense that it led to lapses defensively. The other thing, too, that this team just never showed any willingness to do is play hard. And what I mean by play hard is, like, clear the front of the net, be physical, anything like that. Not just, like, on on the offensive, but defensive, like, in front of their goalies. They just always seem to be standing around. I I was talking to – I was on a different radio show earlier today, and they brought up the – I think it was the second Taylor Radish goal – uh, in that game against the Blackhawks last night. And he has like three whacks at Logan Thompson with, I believe it was Alex Petrangelo, just kind of standing there poking, doing not a whole lot. And Jack Eichel, I think, was the other one who was there not doing a whole lot. And nobody cleared him out. And I know that's a 1980s thing to say, and what, but like it's still a physical game. And it's still about moving people out from the front of the net and not letting a guy – Basically, just take as many whacks as he wants at the puck and eventually put it in. Like, you just can't have that happen. So, yeah, like there were so many different things with this team that, that relate to the goaltending. But, yeah, ultimately, bottom line, it wasn't good enough. And, and, and let, me, let me preface that again. I know I'm going on long here. It wasn't good enough, but that, that's not an indictment on Logan Thompson. He's the one guy I want to kind of like excuse from this a little bit or not sort of throw into the bus with all this it, because I think he got put into the worst situation of them all. And I think he probably handled it the best and, and played the best, gave them the best chance down the stretch to win. And I think, 
you know, maybe almost in hindsight, I wonder if Pete DeBoer would go back and play Logan Thompson for that New Jersey game and Logan Thompson at the start of that Washington game. And, and maybe you have a different outcome. Maybe they don't make the playoffs. I don't know. But, you know, maybe you're playing the St. Louis game with, with something on the line still. Yeah, it certainly obviously couldn't hurt given what Logan Thompson did for them. I mean, he went uh, 14 of 17 in these three shootouts and somehow went 0-3, which is just ridiculous that um, he went out there and really seemed to kind of grind it out, you know, trying to help this team make the playoffs and just did not get enough support. I mean, obviously the Blackhawks game, he's starting uh, both ends of a back-to-back with travel, going to a shootout both times and is still excellent for six rounds before finally conceding uh, to Tyler Johnson. So, yeah, I think Logan Thompson did everything the Knights could have asked of him and much, much more than that as a rookie. And maybe that secures kind of his NHL future. But yeah, everything else, like I said, and we'll get into the handling of some of that with uh, Robin Leonard, and it maybe kind of relates to how the Knights have approached the position all season, um, that it's not even always on the goaltenders uh, themselves. It's the circumstances they've been put in. Um, but as you know, as you mentioned, Dave, they probably faced some more definitely rush chances this year compared to last year because the Knights went so far up the ice looking for offense. Um, as you hinted at earlier, like overall, just the kind of scoring chances per 60 minutes at five on five, the Knights are giving up. You know, they ranked uh, 16th last year when Flurry won the Vesna and the team won the Jennings and they're uh, 18th this year. So they're worse and the league as a whole is worse. So they're giving up more chances than you would expect than just like two spots kind of compared to last year. But yeah, it's not like they were a lock it down tight team defensively necessarily last year, or at least not as much as maybe you would expect uh, for a team that gave up the fewest goals in the NHL. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was doing a lot of uh, the work there for them last year. And the Knights just didn't have a guy in that carry them uh, like uh, they did last year. But there was a lot of circumstances around that. Uh, Next topic in terms of why the Knights are not in the postseason that we should talk about special teams. Uh, One of these special teams with the Knights is everyone's favorite topic, but I don't think we can excuse the other one either. The Knights were first on the penalty kill last year and a 22nd on the power play. Everyone of course remembers the team going 0 for 15 in the NHL semifinal against the Montreal Canadiens. One of those areas got Uh, significantly worse this year and the other one just didn't get better the power play just did not take a step forward all year it actually slipped back two spots league-wide to 24th even though the Knights power play percentage is actually up year over year just the league-wide power play percentage has gone up and they have not kept pace and then the Knights went all the way back down to 21st on the penalty kill this year they went from leading the league to well below average, and obviously a big part of that, as we've mentioned, is some of the injuries. They didn't have Martinez most of the year. They missed White Cloud for large chunks, missed William Carlson and Riley Smith for good chunks of games. But, I mean, this is a team, Dave, that, you know, was not as good at 5-on-5 as it has been in years past, and they just didn't get a lot of positive contributions 
from special teams. The power play actually did look halfway decent by the end of the season when they started doing a little bit of more of a kind of a, a tip play in the slot with, you know, Stevenson and Pacioretty. But it just had so many long gaps this year where it just was not helping this team whatsoever. And then compared to previous years, the penalty kill wasn't lifting this team like it had been in years past. Yeah, there's an old cartoon that had John Lovitz in it called The the Critic. And he always used to say, it stinks. And I can't do the John Lovitz like accent. But that's like what I think of when I when this special teams comes to mind. It stinks. Because that was sort of Pete DeBoer and, and look, I'll even call him, and I even called him at one point like a penalty kill coach. If there's one thing that he's known for throughout his career, consistent with Florida, with New Jersey, with San Jose, with the Knights, like he's always had a good penalty kill. It's something that he prides himself on as a coach, something that his teams pride themselves on. And this year, like you mentioned, the fact that that one took a huge – the the power play is that that's a separate thing. Like that, that's not even a shock at this point anymore because there's so many issues with that just in terms of structurally and in, in terms of the personnel and, and what they're trying to get out of that. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of trying to get the blood out of the turnip a little bit, but the penalty kill was supposed to be, you know, this team's like foundation and bedrock and something that you could always rely on. And yes, again, like you mentioned, the injuries factor into it. But just the fact that structurally it broke down so often, the fact that they didn't get the saves, the fact that Robin Leonard, you know, when he was there, seemed to struggle with what was going on in front of him and just just too many open looks, you know, just just not enough being able for him to read the play and anticipate where shots are, excuse me, where shots are coming from, you know, where pucks are, are going to be. It it was just it's just a massive failure on on really like the entire coaching staff. The the players have to take some responsibility for it too. I'll just say this: like I think if if Pete DeBoer is the fall guy or one of the fall guys for all this and loses his job, I think one of the reasons that you can point to for that, just in terms of like the X's and O's, is the special teams and how he said at the start of the year that he wanted it, you know, judged, you know, on, on a season wide, you know, sample, not, not, you know, every month, he didn't want a weekly referent all this sort of stuff. Well, we're at the end of the year now and you know, look what happened. It, it was, it was subpar. No, it just didn't get better. They even added, you know, one of the, most talented offensive players in the world and Jack Eichel. And it's still for a large stretch after they added Eichel in did not get any better. Uh, just not a lot of uh, movement, not a lot of kind of, you know, consistent uh, play on it. And it really ended up, you know, not only just costing them in terms of goals this season, but costing them momentum or just, you know, kind of good vibes after like a strong, power play instead they were feeding uh, other teams you know good energy because they just had a strong penalty kill and barely let the knights into the zone um and all of that uh the last thing i want to touch on in terms of reasons why the knights are not in the playoffs and obviously we could go on for a long uh time with these we could get into you know 
obviously double digits, but I don't want to spend all day, uh, you know, breaking it down. You can check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We'll have several stories going into detail, several of the areas that they fell short in over the next coming days. But uh, we already touched on this a little bit, but like we've mentioned, it just felt like they were not good enough for large stretches of the season, even when they had other things coming into place. Like we talked about, they got reasonably healthy by the end of the year. The power play was at least somewhat decent this last road trip. The goaltending was there from Logan Thompson just in terms of production the last couple days. And they still didn't get it done. They've lost three straight in a shootout, as I've already mentioned. They're 2-2-4 in their past eight. I mean, ultimately, this is a team that is going to finish probably with three 20-goal scores and have five guys that have 40 points or more. That's just not the statistics that you expect from a playoff team. And a lot of it, of course, is due to injuries. But I don't think that we can pretend this group was just lighting it up all season. They're going to uh, finish 13th in goals per game, 14th in goals against. And as we've already touched on, they're below average on both special teams. And they have a below average team save percentage. Just overall, you know, just looking at kind of those numbers playing and simple, Dave, this, as we've kind of mentioned, was not this, you know, elite soul crushing team that I just think a lot of us expected them to be entering the year. The production just never matched the expectations. I think you could probably start with a guy like William Carlson and just look at his numbers and the drop off. Uh, obviously, you know, Mark Stone's numbers just because of the number, you know, games played are you know at the at the end total when you look at like you know the back of his hockey card and his stats and you know 60 points 70 points you know all of a sudden like this season's gonna gonna really stand out because he just wasn't healthy like there was a handful of guys let let me flip it around though like just because as much as we we say all this and it's entirely true like if you're going to be playoff team especially in this day and age like the offense was up this year you know you look around the league and yes defense wins and all that sort of stuff you have to have some scoring with it and they just didn't have enough but there's a there was a few guys like look Chandler Stevenson had a phenomenal year I think it needs to be acknowledged Jonathan Marcheseau was probably for large stretches if not Chandler Stevenson like their best offensive player I thought he had a had a really good season for a guy who, you know, maybe at the start of the year in the offseason, you know, going back to, you know, late summer, maybe his name was coming up, potential trade rumors and things like that. Like he he had the response, excuse me, that you want. Nick Waugh, same thing. Like I thought Shea Theodore, especially at the end, especially the last few weeks, to get to the 50-point mark, I think that's a big thing for him. You know, like there, there are some bright spots with – excuse me, with all of this, but yeah, like the, the main guys, the guys that you lean on for, you know, for scoring either just weren't healthy, Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, you know, to some extent, Riley Smith, or just like, didn't really produce, you know, William Carlson, Dodonov got to 20 goals, but you know, it took this, 
this crazy hot streak at the end after the trade fell through really for him to, to get there. So, you know, just, just a lot of underachieving, I think, in, in terms of obviously injuries affected it, but, but just production as well. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. And so now that leads us into what potentially is going to come up next for this team. Now we're just going to touch on this lightly. We'll have more time to kind of do a full off-season preview probably next week because we'll you know, once the Knights get back and myself get back from this road trip, uh, you know, we'll do exit interviews at City National Arena. We'll talk to uh, players for sure, get a little bit more pers- of their perspective on what went wrong, what they would like to see change moving forward. And uh, we'll also possibly, of course, also talk to uh, Coach Pete DeBoer and General Manager Kelly McGrimmon. Uh, but I say possibly because I think that's at least the one place we can quick talk about about those two guys at the top. And you, of course, can throw president of hockey operations, George McPhee, in there, too. Uh, whenever you have a team kind of disappoint this mightily, there is at least going to be kind of the option thrown out there about, you know, how big are the changes going to be? with the team and are those changes going to go beyond just the personnel that are going to be on the ice. So when it comes to Pete DeBoer's future, Kelly McCrimmon's future, how high is your antenna raised now, Dave, about, you know, either of those two guys potentially having to pay with their jobs for kind of what was just not at all the season the Golden Knights were expecting. Very high. Red alert. I think somebody's got to pay, right? I just don't expect, as much as the injuries are a legitimate reason when you go in and say what happened, I just don't think Bill Foley and I don't think precedent in the culture of this organization will allow them to just say like, ah, stuff happens. Let's just run it back. You know, we'll tweak the roster. We, we got to make some adjustments to get under salary cap, but... But everything, everything's hunky-dory. You know, like there is no way after the way that they crashed and burned, the way that everything happened with the goalies, the way that you've got Max Pacioretty coming out and talking about the chemistry. You've got Pete DeBoer, you know, basically already falling on the sword, so to speak. Uh, you know, saying that, you you know, them missing, it's, it's his responsibility as much as anybody. Like it's already started, like it's it already seems... Like some of this stuff, the wheels are in motion. What I just don't know, haven't been able to, you know, ascertain yet or, or hear, or just get a total feel for is like how how widespread is it going to be? You know, is it just going to be say a coach? Is it just going to be changes to the roster? You know, or are we going to see something more? Because you know, quite frankly, I think everything is on the table. I think we've talked about. Pete DeBoer a little bit, but, you know, I think three years into Kelly McCrimmon's tenure as general manager, you know, and and look, if we assume and accept that there is collaboration in that front office, but also operate under the premise of 
Kelly McCrimmon has authority over these decisions and then examine some of these decisions, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jack Eichel, going all the way back to Robin Leonard, going all the way back to firing Jared Gallant. Like th- there are a number of things over the, the last few years that, that we can look at and that Kelly McCrimmon should have to answer for. So if Bill Foley or if George McPhee has authority or, or whomever else, you know, is given the authority to make a change, I mean, something's going to happen. There's no way that this doesn't just, you know, or that this just sails on into the off season with, with no repercussions at, at this point. It's just it's just a matter of how many heads are going to roll. No, I would agree with you. And uh, like I said, we're, we can get into the specifics of what actually ends up happening um, our, our next time out. Because obviously, I would imagine once the season officially ends on Friday, we're going to get news on what's going to ultimately end up happening, at least in terms of those kind of top level positions relatively quickly. So I don't want to spend too much time breaking that down or the possibility of that down when we'll have hard news on that relatively soon. But I do think it's also worth circling back to another uh, Pacioretty comment real quick, because this is a team um, you've already mentioned, Dave, they've got to make some moves to get under the salary cap. They're already basically projected to be, you know, approximately $1.4 million over just heading into the off season. Uh, That's with Riley Smith and Matias Yanmark as unrestricted free agents. And then Nicholas Waugh, Keegan Colasar, Brett Howden, and Nick Haig as restricted free agents. So none of those guys are on the books yet. They will need, of course, to be added to the books if the Knights want them to play for them next season. Um, we've already got, you know, potential one cap clearing move that we can look out for because you already mentioned they tried to trade Evgeny Dodonov once. Would not be shocking at all if they tried to trade him again now that they know what his no trade list looks like. But um, beyond that, Dave, how deep do you think these roster changes might go? Because Pacioretty, why I bring this up, is he made a pretty impassioned and what felt like a pretty purposeful plea yesterday once the game was over, basically saying, like, I think that this group can still do it. I believe in the group we have which you know very much seemed like he was trying to send a message of like, I don't want us to basically blow everything up or kind of radically rework what we've got going on here. I think we just, you know, obviously have some things we need to improve. Pacioretty was, you know, also pretty emphatic. He wasn't saying like, you know, we got injured. I'm making an excuse. That's why we can run it back. He was saying we had issues, but I still believe we can do this. Do you think that's the route the Knights are ultimately going to take, that they're going to tweak some things at the margins, get under the salary cap, but you know, come back with largely the same group of headliners in place? Or do you think there's going to be, I don't know if surprise move is the right word, but maybe you know, some sort of major move in or out that we're not necessarily expecting right now that that changes how we think about this roster significantly by the time they come back in September. I would say the latter. I would, I would anticipate something along those lines, you know, at some point in the summer. And to be quite frank, I, look, I'll be, I'll be really honest. I'm not sure that Max Pacioretty doesn't feel the heat himself. 
And that was maybe some of the impetus behind what he was saying that, that I think he knows he could be on the trade block and that, that he could be out of here, that, that nobody's really safe unless you're like Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, you know, Jack Eichel, and you've got like no move clauses and, and things like that. I think those are the only guys you, that, that, are, that are coming back guaranteed that you could say, okay, you know, the, the stars are going to be here and the core is intact, you know, and all of that. I think everything else, everybody, the, the rest, like everybody's going to be vulnerable. I think, I, think, I think part of the reason that this team struggled is that guillotine hanging over their head, that everybody knew their job was on the line if they didn't get there. And everybody just, I think, tightened up and gripped the stick and they weren't comfortable in these really close games because of that threat because of that negativity of what happens if it doesn't work out. I, I think that that's part of the problem. I think that's part of the, the chemistry and the culture, you know, that, that Max Pacioretty was referring to that just this team was never able to relax and loosen up. No, I totally agree with you there that that just, it's just seemed to have such a huge effect. And I, the interesting thing is if um, they don't make any changes, at least at the front office level, I don't know if that's, going away because as you mentioned i had the same takeaway that patch ready was probably feeling you know kind of the guillotine above his head so to speak because he's entering now he's gonna be in the last year of his contract next season making seven million dollars against the cap it's not like he hasn't been in trade rumors before so maybe he feels that he's going to be a guy that they're going to try to potentially use to free up salary cap space to bring back some of the guys they need to bring back or just to get under the salary cap. And if you have one of your kind of best players and maybe one of your veteran leader players coming out right after the season to basically like publicly kind of beg to stay, that might say a little bit about how that locker room is feeling and how that's kind of how they're wound right now in, you know, pressure packed games. Um, well, like I said, we'll obviously dive into a lot of what they're going to end up doing this offseason, what we think might happen this offseason, what's going to be on the table a little bit later because we're going to have obviously so much time to discuss and break down all of that. But uh, to wrap up this show, we just need to kind of circle back since we haven't uh, you know, talked in a little bit more than a week about the Robin Leonard situation, what specifically has gone on there in the past week, just despite kind of what's been happening on the ice. Because last time we talked was after uh, the Devils game where Leonard started, didn't look good, gave up three goals on 28 shots faced. And uh, Pete DeBoer was like, I would say surprisingly pretty critical afterwards. Um, His exact quote was, you know, I think this time of year you're looking for your guy to be better than the guy at the other end in terms of the net that wasn't the case tonight um you know pete DeBoer is you know normally for those that pay attention to his press conferences pretty loath to like ever single guys out for criticism so for him to basically say anything like remotely negative about you know what they got in net from robin leonard in that game was really surprising then despite all that he still starts Leonard the next game against Washington. Leonard gives up one goal in the first period. He can't squeeze a shot from Alex Ovechkin. 
gets poked in by Evgeny Kuznetsov. Um, otherwise, he stops uh, 12 other shots in that period. He also did technically let another puck in the net um, on a four-on-two rush, but that goal was called back for offsides. And also, it's four-on-two rush. I'm not sure exactly how much you want to blame your goaltender for that. Second period starts. Logan Thompson is now in the crease. Robin Leonard is on the bench in a baseball cap. Uh, now, we talked last episode of... It was thought it was pretty evident, pretty clear from just watching Robin Leonard play that he was battling through some injuries still. So at first, you know, at least it popped into my mind of like, oh, did Leonard just kind of ultimately decide like he couldn't go any further? Was this an injury related poll? Uh, no, Pete DeBoer after the game said the decision to start him. We pay him to start games like this. It's the most important time of the year. He's healthy. He's fresh. He's got a lot of energy, and we need him at this point. So I think after the New Jersey game, I felt like I wanted to give him the opportunity to bounce back and have a big game for us. The decision to change, I thought I really liked our start. We gave up that first goal, and I felt like we looked like we were rattled as a team for the rest of the period. I was It was just to try to switch some momentum, reset ourselves, and get ready for the rest of the game. So if it was a performance-related pull for Leonard, Thompson goes in, gives up two goals to Ovechkin, but gets the win in overtime. Uh, Knights are off Thursday. Friday, Leonard is not at practice, and ESPN is the first to report he is going to have season-ending surgery. Uh, DeBoer shoots down that report. He says Leonard is just being given a maintenance day on Friday. He should be at practice Saturday and then dress for the game Sunday. And Pete DeBoer also insists that there is nothing basically physically preventing Robin Leonard from playing. He's kind of asked about his comments saying Leonard is healthy and fresh. He says, look, nobody's 100% this time of year, but there's, as far as my conversations with Robin go, there's nothing indicating that he physically cannot play. Uh, Saturday comes. Leonard still is not at practice. The Knights put out a statement that he is taking another maintenance day and DeBoer doesn't answer any questions off the statement, even though both of us tried. He doesn't also attend the team's optional morning skate Sunday. And then Leonard shows up and is Thompson's backup against the Sharks. Then a day later, Monday, the team announces Leonard is having season ending shoulder surgery and is done Leonard or the team in a statement says Robin has done his best to battle through this injury. He sustained February 9th and we were hopeful that rest and rehab would allow him to complete the season. He initially rehabbed and was able to return to play March 1st at times. Rest and rehab were effective, but ultimately Robin in consultation with the team's medical staff determined this is the best course of action. Um, So like we mentioned previously, Logan Thompson actually in a very difficult situation came in, Performed really well. He was not the reason the Knights lost these last three games and their playoff hopes ultimately were ended. But this whole last week or so has just felt very, very bizarre in terms of Leonard, you know, getting criticized postgame by DeBoer against New Jersey, still getting the game against Washington before getting pulled. DeBoer insisting he's healthy for a couple days only to see Leonard not practice and then have season ending surgery. And then even the fact that DeBoer, when asked about the fact that Leonard got season ending surgery before a 
a very important game against the Dallas Stars, said, I'm not going to spend any of my time on that and energy right now. I think the release, which I already quoted, speaks for itself. We're concentrating on the 20 guys that are here to help us win here tonight. So nothing even of like, hey, we wish Robin the best. He battled through it for us. There's been really been none of that from DeBoer publicly the last week or so. It's just odd. Uh, I know I rambled on because I really wanted to set up kind of what's been happening this past week or so. But Dave, how weird has this whole situation and the Knights approach to it been from your perspective? I'm trying to think of analogies and stuff and like whatever to talk about with all this. And so like one of the things I think, think about is like the Rube Goldberg machine, if you know what that is. Absolutely. Um, Or so the other one, I'll try to maybe even put it in them a little more contemporary terms. I think his name is Kabi. He's on TikTok. He's an Italian guy. And it's like he does these videos where it's like this really complicated thing or whatever. And then he'll just do like this very simple way of doing it and then just be like, duh. You know, that's what this feels like with the Knights is like everything is so much more complicated then it needs to be like they're making a Rube Goldberg machine out of all this, you know, all these contraptions and this and that and whatever, like jumping through salary cap hoops because they can't call up a goaltender. So they have to like throw up this big ruse and subterfuge and, and whatever's going on, you know, leading up to Sunday when like, here's the other thing too, like didn't, and I think Elliot Friedman brought this up or, you know, whatever, like they, didn't they change the rules are, like, aren't you allowed an, an exemption anyway? Like, if you're short a goaltender or whatever, they they change those rules this year with like the COVID stuff or or whatever, right? So, like, I, that's one of my questions to them at some point is, well, did you really even like? Was it a, even a consideration? Did it matter? Like, they could, I think they could have just brought up the goalie based on that anyway, and that it didn't. They didn't need the whole like, well, we have to go through a game. And then we can use the exemption. I, I don't know all that stuff very well. But like my point with all this is just like I don't understand why it's always goalies and it's always the Golden Knights. Like what is the deal? And why is it always there this miscommunication and just disconnect somewhere along the way, you know, between the player, the coach, the coach, the GM. The player, the GM, like with just there's there's always this big gaping hole when it comes to all this stuff and injuries and just whatever's going on. It's bad enough with the skaters when it comes to the goaltenders. This, you know, this team is just it's like Secret Service or something. I, I don't understand why, well, like the, the paranoia that, that comes from them, you know, like I know where it comes from, but. I don't understand why it has to be this way. And and yet they continually do it. They continually paint themselves into these bizarre corners. And like the big question now is, did this one cost them their goalie? Did they screw this one up so badly that the goalie himself, Robin Leonard, is just going to be like, I'm done with you. I don't want to deal with your bleep anymore. I saw what you did to one and I'm not going to be the other one. Cause like what this all appears to be. And, and again, this is, you know, when I tried to talk to Kelly McCrimmon, he basically shut me down, told me it was nothing, nothing to talk about. I didn't want to 
whatever put out the statement, he stood behind stood behind the statement. So until we hear from him specifically, until we hear from Robin Leonard, like what it appears is that the Golden Knights forced Robin Leonard to dress as the backup while he was injured. And if we've learned anything about Robin Leonard during his time here, it's that he's not going to take anything lying down. So I'm sure once he can get in front of the microphone, now that his Twitter is apparently activated, I'm sure we're going to hear his side of all of this and whatever. And if it comes out that, that that's what the Golden Knights did and they forced him to dress while he was injured and if something had happened to Logan Thompson and Robin Leonard had to go in, like, can you imagine that? Like, we we were up there watching warm-ups that game. He did, I like, would he stop three pucks and two of them were like, basically because they were floated at him just to like let him stop a puck. I mean, it was very obvious that he was A, not healthy and B, not interested in like being out there probably because he wasn't healthy. So if this is all mismanaged again, and if this is all Groundhog Day for the Golden Knights, you know, when it comes to goalies, I, like their reputation across the league is just going to be completely soured going forward. Yeah, well, the bizarre part to me is not just obviously what you just mentioned with having Leonard dress. Because if it was just that, even though, as you kind of pointed out, there was definite some questions that need to be asked about how they handled it in that regards to Leonard and how they communicated that and stuff. But it for more than that, to me, it's just how that they've, you know, approached their communication about what's been going on with Leonard and how healthy he is, is just strange and bizarre. Because as you know, you pointed out um, the salary cap stuff, so just quick, I guess, contextualize that for people that might have been curious what, uh, Dave was kind of referring to is uh, we mentioned, you know, that whole incident in the Washington game where Leonard gets pulled um, after the first period. And it's two days later that it's announced or reported, not announced. It's reported two days later that he is having or needs to have season ending surgery. He does not get it. And ultimately the announcement comes many days later after he dresses Sunday against the San Jose Sharks. Um, They're, you know, right now it's still very vague and we need more specifics from general manager Kelly McCrimmon when he's made available. But, you know, there is, you know, this idea out there that there are, was some salary cap specific purpose. Uh, William Carrier was activated off long-term uh, injured reserve for that game against the Sharks on Sunday. And so there's some sort of implication that that meant that Robin Leonard uh, needed to dress for that game and then it would be the next game that the Knights would able, be able to use their emergency exception to call up Geary Patera to back up Logan Thompson the rest of the way. So the Knights, for you know, somehow, some way, just needed to get through one more game, and then they could have Leonard get his surgery. And that you know potentially is why there was the delay and maybe some of the denials between. Friday when the surgery was initially reported to when he actually got it. But it's obviously not just that for me, because the explanation of what has been going on, if that was really what was like happening, is also not just that simple. Because as I tried to lay out, 
even if you take all that at face value, and that's why the Knights were being less than forthcoming about Leonard's situation, you still have a coach in Pete DeBoer publicly criticizing a goalie that needed season-ending surgery on his shoulder. And as we talked about last episode, in that New Jersey game, there was a very obvious play on the second goal that Leonard gave up where he could not squeeze a puck with, uh, believe, the shoulder that he is now going to get surgery on. And so he is playing, obviously, through that, and still his coach kind of publicly uh, criticizes him after the game. Then still starts him the next game, pulls him after a period, and then insists afterward in his post-game comments that Leonard is healthy and fresh. And um, as we established when... You know, the two of us tried to push Pete on that two days later at practice. He basically essentially, you know, he didn't, I don't know, double down is the right phrase, but he didn't back away from it either, where that's when he was kind of talking about like, look, like no one's 100%, but as far as I'm been, I've been made aware, Leonard is physically able to play until, of course, a couple days later when he is not physically able to play and even, um, as mentioned earlier, when, you know, the surgery is brought up to DeBoer after it's announced that it's going to happen. At no point has uh, Pete DeBoer ever been like, you know, hey, look, like Robin was clearly gutting it out for us. He wasn't at 100%. We appreciate his efforts, you know, kind of giving us his best, but we think like this was the best decision for both parties or anything like that. Like there's been none of that. There has been, you know, no sort of like public messaging from the Knights in like support of Robin Leonard, like playing through this or acknowledgement that he was playing through anything. Um, it's been very weird. Like there seems to be some sort of disconnect in terms of either, you know, how healthy actually was he? Did Pete DeBoer know how healthy Robin Leonard actually was? Or is there just some sort of just resentment of the fact that Leonard did play hurt and did not play great? while he was hurt for the Knights, you know, is ultimately going to cost, you know, the Knights a uh, postseason birth and potentially, as we've alluded to earlier, potentially cost Pete DeBoer's job. And maybe that's where those comments are coming from. If that's the case, that seems odd to me, Dave, because we talked about the Knights still controlled their own destiny, even after that Washington game when Leonard didn't play, you know, another minute for them. In the regular season, they certainly were still in it, even with everything going on with Robin Leonard. But how they appear to have handled this publicly is just very strange in terms of messaging. It just has not been clear at all what's been going on uh, in this case. They're almost, almost, I I want to emphasize, like, emphasize that, like, there almost seemed to be an implication from Pete DeBoer of, like, you know, hey, we got a bunch of guys hurt and they're out battling and they're doing it. So why don't you get your butt out there and do the same thing, Robin? Like, that's just what you're expected to do. Like, th- and, and I don't understand why if, if that's the case and, and Pete DeBoer in his mind is like somewhere along the way, assuming or operating under the belief that Robin Leonard is, is healthy and, and if he's on the ice, if he's available, then he can play. You know, and, and what I don't understand is 
if that wasn't the case, why wasn't there a conversation between him and Robin Leonard? And in fact, he said and specifically said that his belief that Robin Leonard was healthy and whatever was based on conversations with him. So, like, where was the miscommunication between those two? And then if Robin Leonard had conversations about what was going on and surgery and all of that with Kelly McCrimmon, then why didn't Kelly McCrimmon communicate that to his coach? Like, I, it just feels – and again, this is the appearance from the outside. And I'm sure behind closed doors it's different. But they consistently give this appearance that there is no communication in their house, that their own house is out of order and everybody is just on different pages. And to me, for a team that prides itself on being so buttoned up and and all of this stuff and and ahead of the game and thinking all you know three D chess and all this stuff, like the fact that they just can never get ahead of the PR part of all of this, the court of public opinion, they just consistently lose there. And at some point, and it. It's interesting because we've already seen talk and heard talk and there's articles written just about this team's reputation now across the league. And they went from the plucky little expansion team that everybody sort of rooted for to this evil empire now that that people just give side eye and and are are clapping, not even under the table, like standing up and out loud clapping that they've missed the playoffs and and you know, I guess that's what happens in, in five years if you alienate enough people. Yeah, we've seen the, the Sharks and the Stars congratulating each other over the last couple of days about being able to beat the Knights and keep them out of the playoffs. And, you know, as you've been, yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot of league-wide chatter just because, like, people don't trust them right now because, as we talked, like, what they're saying in public at this point, it's not only that they are like withholding information, right? Because I think even though obviously our job as reporters, we get annoyed when they like withhold information in regards to injuries and stuff to a certain extent, you know, it's at least like we can like understand it, even if we don't like it and maybe think that they are overthinking it or whatever. Um, In this case, it just feels like they are outright just not, uh, saying things accurately in terms of Pete DeBoer, like we've said, saying he's fresh and healthy for a guy that needs shoulder surgery. And what also um, is bizarre to me about the implication that you've talked about with Pete DeBoer, which I think it's not that hard to read between the lines to imply that Pete DeBoer basically thinks that, you know, or potentially thinks that Robin Leonard just decided to, you know, be done with the team and his year and Pete DeBoer thinks that he should still be with them. What I don't get about that perspective. And I know there have been several fans that have been sharing that on social media as well is a Robin Leonard has clearly been trying to battle through this injury for a while. He suffered it uh, as is established by the team statement long before he shut it down. He sustained it February 9th. So he went, and obviously there was a lower body injury that caused him to miss time there too. I mean, but he came back and played quite a few more games after 
suffering this injury. So it's not like he immediately packed his bags and went. He tried to give it a go for the team. And he even, you know, whether they kind of really nudged him to or not, even dressed when he was clearly hurt that last game against the Sharks. Even if his head wasn't necessarily in it, he still showed up and did it when the team asked him to, even though I think it also would have been understandable if he said, look, like I'm hurt. I need to, you know, get this done to get my body right. I'm sorry, I'm done. Like he did show up for the team and tried his best. The other thing I don't get from, you know, Pete's perspective and even some fans perspective of this is I feel like there is often this interesting like perception of like people want these guys to like show up and like try to play through a bunch of injuries and stuff. But in this case, Robin Leonard playing through these injuries wasn't doing anyone any good. Like it was not beneficial for the Knights to have Robin Leonard try to play through this shoulder injury and lower body injury. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know you wrote about them when you did your, you know, official kind of he's having surgery story date, but like he wasn't good um, for his last like six games or so. And it's understandable why he wasn't good. But if you have a guy that's hurt and banged up and not performing, why is it a bad thing for him to not be out there anymore and kind of get the necessary treatment? Like why would it necessarily be a bad uh, thing for him to get stand off, to the side and let a guy who is much healthier and clearly performing better in Logan Thompson take the net as opposed to forcing Leonard to keep going back out there when it's not doing him or the team any good. That's also the perspective that, like I said, from possibly Pete and a certain segment of the fans that I also don't understand. Yeah. And I think, you know, I wonder in hindsight if Pete DeBoer thinks or, you know, maybe regrets not having Logan Thompson start that New Jersey game or having Logan Thompson start, you know, that Washington game. Um, it, it just felt like, I mean, there's so many things to say about this, like it, it just in terms of the health part of it and and where he was at. And like, look, you know, Mark Stone was very ineffective there's, there's probably a whole debate on whether he should have even played the All-Star game. I, I can't wait to ask him if he froze his butt off standing out in the, the middle of the, you know, Bellagio fountains or where, where I can't remember where they did that thing and like how much that affected his back and, and whatever for the next couple months and whether that exacerbated everything. Like there were so many different things and, and guys with the injuries and, and the way it was handled or, or mishandled or, or played through and, and guys – you know, whatever, like what happened with Eichel? Like I thought at one point it, it looked and seemed like Eichel probably had like a broken hand after he blocked, blocked that shot. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's playing through it and whatever. Like I, we're going to rip on Eichel. Like, I don't know. How hurt was he? You know, maybe he scored 12 goals with a broken hand or something like that and was actually doing more than we thought. Like th- there's so many different questions about the injury stuff that we just don't know, you know, until the end of the season. But yeah, I think I think the hardest thing with all this is that it's a goaltender and and it becomes a, you know, one guy can play the position sort of thing. And if you go away from Robin Leonard and Laurent Brossois is hurt, like you're putting all your eggs in the to Logan Thompson's unproven basket at that point. 
And yeah, he, he ended up being a guy who's, you know, at the very least probably going to be the backup next year because of what he did with this opportunity. But like, I don't think they felt super solid about that. I wonder about, you know, if they could go back at the trade deadline, you know, knowing now what they know then, would they have done something? Like there's so many ifs and, and, and butterfly effect with all this. But yeah, I think the, the biggest question is, is just comes down to, you know, if he was, if he was hurt and they knew it, why was he out there? Yeah. We'll see if we can get uh, more clarity on what was going on uh, with Robin Leonard and the entire night's goaltending situation as we move forward into potential exit interviews over uh, the next couple of days. But we've gone way long on this podcast, so we should probably wrap it up there. Uh, like I said, we'll be back next week uh, with more of an off-season preview look-ahead uh, type show. But uh, for now, I just want to thank you guys all uh, for listening. I'll probably try to emphasize this uh, next week, too, when the season kind of feels even more officially over since there's one game remaining. But we really appreciate everyone who listens and re- you know responds to our work throughout the season. It really does, you know, make a difference. It makes us feel good. It, we really enjoy the rapport that we have with our, our listeners, our readers, all that stuff. So, so thank you to everyone who took the time to engage with our work this season, and we'll still take the time to engage with it uh, this off season and stuff. Um, but for now, uh, just a reminder that the Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. Uh, we are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We are also presented uh, by Blue Wire. And also, if you guys great review, subscribe. Whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. I'm Ben Goetz. He's David Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.